All right, we are back. We sometimes like to do obituaries in our third segment. I think we'll do a couple of them today, briefly. And noting first the passing of Robert C. Stebbins, UC Berkeley biologist, published his first book in 1951, his last in 2012. His best-known book is A Field Guide to Western Reptiles and Amphibians, first published in 1966. It's still considered the Bible of the field. Stebbins, by the way, was also an illustrator for his books. His obituaries note the sudden decline of amphibian and reptile populations worldwide beginning in the 80s and 90s made it especially urgent to obtain direct on-site knowledge of what's going on. His field guide was essential to that. New York Times obit noted that today, a dog-eared, water-stained Stebbins, as it came to be called, is an indispensable tool in a herpetologist's field pack. Adding, there's no herpetologist anywhere at any level, amateur or scientist, who does not refer to that field guide on a daily basis. One thing I can't figure out is how it is that Robert C. Stebbins was a professor of biology at UC Berkeley and apparently not related to Ledyard Stebbins, a legendary professor of genetics and biology here at UC Davis. But, uh, hey, I guess coincidences do happen. We also note with sadness that the original Mercury 7 astronauts are now down to just John Glenn with the passing of Scott Carpenter at age 88. Carpenter was, in fact, the second American to orbit the Earth after John Glenn. Bits described him as the fourth American in space, but the first two American astronauts, Alan Shepard and Gus Grissom, just basically did what future space tourists are going to do, ride the missile up and back without going into orbit. Like all the Mercury 7 astronauts, Scott Carpenter was an instant American hero when it was announced that these men would be our uh, single combatants against the Soviet Empire, as, as Tom Wolfe described in The Right Stuff. And his flight into space certainly had the nation's attention riveted to it when he uh, was feared to have been lost for a while. Carpenter wound up something like 250 miles away from his intended landing spot, and it took a long time to find him. Now, it, turned out, now it turns out there were some technical problems uh, involved with uh, this mishap, but, uh, but the voice of mission control, Christopher Kraft, who was the flight director for that, uh, for that mission, wrote in his memoir... Carpenter was completely ignoring our request to check his instruments. I swore an oath that Scott Carpenter would never again fly in space, and he didn't. To hear Chris Kraft tell it, Carpenter was distracted by the, uh, the, the bright objects orbiting around the capsule, which was apparently some sort of liquid or condensate or something. He kept calling them fireflies, and apparently his attention was directed to them like, like a kid at the zoo instead of going through his checklist. At least that's the impression you get from reading Christopher Kraft's book. Whatever the truth is, among his many projects, Scott Carpenter joined with his fellow astronauts of the original Mercury 7 to create the Astronaut Scholarship Foundation, which aided science and engineering students. In 2006, he returned to the University of Colorado to present a scholarship to a student studying plasma physics and used the occasion to reflect on the thrill he experienced on his flight. The Rocky Mountain News quoted him as saying, The flight experience itself is incredible. It's addictive. It's transcendent. It's a view of the grand plan of all things that is simply unforgettable. All right, let's go to biology. What, my dear listener, do you suppose have the hardest teeth known? And if you're like me, you did not know that it was, in fact, the chitin. You've probably seen these things in, in the rocks uh, of, of our California surf. They're not rare. They eat algae. They cling to rocks. But what I didn't know was that they have black metallic teeth made of magnetite, an iron oxide used in electronics and medical devices. It's you know, the original compass needle. A piece of new scientist notes that making magnetite 
by humans anyway, often requires high temperature, pressure, and acidity. But the chitin does it in its mouth. (laughs) The question was, how? Well, apparently some pretty sharp scientists have tried to figure out how it is that it does this sleight of hand, and they they think they figured it out. Some proteins and sugars kind of crisscross to form a scaffold and bind some positively charged ions, and they were able to get some iron on board, and next thing you know, you got lodestone. Of course, the cool thing would be if human beings can learn how it is that nature is doing this and find a way to manufacture magnetite ourselves without using high pressure, temperature, and acidity. And here's a biological item we just can't resist. Out on the island of Midway, north and west of the Hawaiian Islands, uh, is a bird believed to be the world's oldest living wild bird. She's 62. She's an albatross. Scientists think the average Lysan albatross dies at less than half her age. This isn't the extraordinary part. Apparently last year she hatched a chick at age 62. This bird's been named Wisdom by scientists out at Midway, and they note that she's uh, apparently hatched a chick five times since 2006 and as many as 35 in her lifetime. Back in 1956, she was tagged uh, at Midway, and they've noted that rather astonishingly, she's likely flown up to three million miles in that interim. In a rather enthusiastic announcement, the USGS said that that's four to six trips from the Earth to the moon and back again with plenty of miles to spare. Of course, some scientists are noting that the way they ban these birds is rather imperfect. They generally fall off after 20 years or so, and they think that maybe a lot of other uh, albatrosses out there might be equally old. Anyway, love stories like that. All right, in the program a couple weeks back, I talked about how much fun it was to attend a reunion at my medical school. And joining us now is Dr. Andrew Opfell. Dr. Opfell is an orthopedic surgeon in Davis, and he joins us to talk about the work he participated in as a medical student back at UC Irvine. Dr. Andy Opfeld, welcome to Radio Parallax. Well, thanks for having me. Let's talk about DIM, which is a notable group of medical students. Well, DIM stood for Dialogues in Medicine, and some of us, you know, we wanted more hands-on experiences, and DIM was a way to get it done. We got students doing direct research. Uh, For example? Well, Doug, Orange County is politically rather conservative. We Mm -hmm. went to the NIH seeking funds to study whether marijuana leads to communism. (laughs) I see. Yeah, the federal government doesn't allow research on cannabis, you know, unless one tries to prove it's harmful. So we did a study using the young Republican. Do you uh, you recall the results? No collectivist trend was seen, no Pravda subscriptions or anything, but volunteers did buy more Joan Baez albums and went to more bonfires to sing Kumbaya. I hear some did later vote for Mondale. Well, that's shocking. And speaking of intoxicants, as you are aware, Doug, many stressed-out physicians succumb to substance abuse. Well, Andy, that, that is a well-known occupational hazard, yes. Remember that workshop we held, sobriety in your future practice? Well, I, I didn't make that one. I, I'd gotten drunk and fell out of a tree at a party the night before. That was just the sort of thing Dim sought to arm people against. Drinking? And falling out of trees. Yes, I would say so. In fact, I always say, Doug, if you must drink, stay out of trees. You do? No, not really, but evidently somebody better say it to you and Keith Richards. It was just youthful hijinks, Andy. Um, I did I did attend the symposium you guys had on giant squid nerve conduction. Yes, good one. Kirk used that data to obtain patents for electronic devices. Pacemakers, wasn't it? 
actually garage door openers. Anyway, with DIM, some good things did get accomplished. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I did put in for funds to develop an artificial appendix, and nobody wrote back. Uh, Doug, phone call, line one. It's Andy Ockfeld. Oh, damn. He wants to know why someone is pretending to be him. Um, tell him his nurse said he'd be tied up all afternoon and we had a slot to fill. Ask him if he wants to come on. He said to call him later. He wants you to promise in the meantime you won't fake any more interviews. Okay, tell him I promise. No more fake interviews. Now what? Well, now it's time we brought on California Governor Jerry Brown. Hello? Governor. Governor, thanks for coming on. Uh, you wanted to talk about the recall of 10 years ago? Well, uh, Gray Davis had been your chief of staff. We thought you might have an opinion on, on the recall. Well, I do. Uh, Gray was the best chief of staff a governor could want. Let's say I wanted cannoli at 2 in the morning. He'd get it too sweet. Or if I needed Linda Ronstadt for some phony photo op, Gray could get her out of the studio and on a plane. I see. You never had to worry about your pencils being sharp when Gray was on the job. Well, it sounds like valuable skills for a future governor. Mr. Everett, your sarcasm is not appreciated. I think Gray was doing fine, but they put in a guy with big muscles, and he didn't do so well, did he? Well, he did not, actually. No, he didn't. If you want to work with the legislative leadership, I suggest you spend more time in bipartisan conferences, and maybe less time doing squats in Venice. <laughs> well, no argument from us. By the way, I've heard your numerous cracks on my Twin Tunnels project. How the water would go for fracking and such. And I think you might want to clarify a few facts with my people. Well, I'd, I'd love to. And why don't, why don't we do some of that right now? Governor, can you answer how it is you can improve the water quality in Delta by shipping it elsewhere? I'd be happy to, but I got to go. That, uh, that was California's current governor, Jerry Brown. Uh, Doug, Arnold Schwarzenegger on line two. Really? Sure, what the hell? <laughs> Hello? Douglas, you are a lucky man to have two real-life governors in your puny station. Well, I guess so, Governor. Um, uh, yeah. Will, will you talk to us about the events of 10 years ago? Well, I could, but uh, I would rather talk about my new fantastic movie, uh, Escape Plan. It's called Escape Plan. Get down! <laughs> this is about your last year in the governor's chair, I take it. How amusing you are, Douglas, and how very pleased with yourself you must be. Aw, <laughs> oh, oh, shucks. <laughs> Yeah, you're very pleased with yourself, I see. Look, Doug, this film could be a huge step in my getting back on top in Hollywood. Well, Governor, Sacramento's loss is Hollywood's gain. Frankly, I'm happy hanging out with Jack Nicholson and Stan Atkinson. <laughs> yeah, apologies to Stan. Well, Governor, you have worked in your plug. Uh, will, you now talk, will you now talk politics with us? Yeah, only to say I tell you to tell Jerry Brown I am very disappointed he let Shaquille O'Neal clean and jerk his wife instead of me. That just sounds so terrible somehow. No, you are fine. Maybe if I had used Shaquille as a noun and snatch as a verb, I might be getting off the Autobahn. But she looked very unsteady being held above Shaq's head like that. Well, we only know what we read in the papers, Governor. Doug, I must return to my leg lifts now. But tell Jerry he can come join me in Venice any time. I will get him bench pressing his body weight before Christmas. Well, we sure will if we ever get him back on. Goodbye, I'll be the Zane. Watch Escape Plan! <laughs> Radio Parallax, where you never know who we'll be talking to, because we're never sure who we are talking to. Alright, that about does it for today's program, which was produced by Edward McMillan. 
We certainly want to thank uh, Governors Brown and Schwarzenegger for speaking with us today, and I'm confident that uh, Dr. Andy Opfeld will actually find his way onto the program sometime in the weeks to come. And Mr. Millen certainly hopes he was amused by our antics. Hope so, Andy. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week post-conference, hopefully with some words from Oliver Stone. We'll see.